Welcome to What the F is Going On in Latin America and the Caribbean, a popular resistance broadcast of hot news out of the region. In partnership with Code Pink, Common Frontiers, Council on Hemispheric Affairs, Friends of Latin America, Interreligious Task Force on Central America, Massachusetts Peace Action, and Task Force on the Americas, we broadcast Thursdays at 4.30 p.m. Pacific, 7.30 p.m. Eastern, right here on YouTube Live, including, you know, excuse me, including channels for The Convo Couch, Popular Resistance, and Code Pink. Post-broadcast recordings can be found at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Telegram, and at radindymedia.com, and now under podcasts at popularresistance.org. Today's episode, Bolivia's right wing orchestrates a civil strike. Our guests are Camilla Escalante and Ali Vargas of Casa Trun News, and also the podcast Latin America in Review. So welcome, Ali and Camilla. The audience should know you're joining us live from, from La Paz, Bolivia. And I want to share uh, with the audience that this is, um, this is one of those really great episodes in which uh, from which our program gets its news. We have a really hot story that has been unfolding in Bolivia the last three, four weeks and is receiving very little mainstream media coverage in the global north. Um, so our guests are joining us live from Bolivia to share what's happening in Santa Cruz, Bolivia with all of you. Uh, many of you uh, met Camilla when she joined us from Brazil to report on the presidential elections. And for those of you who have been following our program for a couple of years now, when we started strictly as a Facebook Live um, broadcast, you'll recognize um, Ali Vargas, who joined us, I think, December of 2019 to talk about uh, the uh, October 2019 coup in Bolivia. And he, um, I think, Ali, you had just, like, within a month had uh, arrived Bolivia from the UK. So so that was a really, uh, really important episode. And so we're really happy to invite both of you back. Always a pleasure to work with you both. And before we start, let me give the audience just a brief background as to what our conversation is going to be about um, today. So for all of you, in the last 21 days, former coup leader and current governor of the Department of Santa Cruz, Luis Fernando Camacho, has been allowed to carry out a coup d'etat in the city of Santa Cruz, in the words of Pedro Damien Dorado, vice president of the Association of Municipalities of the Department by the same name. Constant media misinformation is the glue that holds together Camacho's base, which can be counted uh, nearly 230,000, mostly middle-class people, who turned out for his latest political meeting, quote-unquote. In late October, Camacho launched the shutdown of the city for the foreseeable future. It is Bolivia's largest and most prosperous municipality and the economic motor of the country. Camacho is a very rich man, and to preserve the wealth of the few, he is once again acting as a threat to Bolivian democracy. But the story from the grassroots has shifted radically since the de facto coup regime that came to power three years ago and lasted less than a year, when the far right of Camacho declared a total strike and work stoppage in the city of Santa Cruz three weeks ago, the masses refused to comply. And so that's the clash that we're seeing happening uh, that's been unfolding for at least three weeks. But a lot of this rhetoric and the call for the strike 
started in September, I believe. So let's talk about what's happening in Santa Cruz, the city of Santa Cruz, which is in the department of Santa Cruz in Bolivia, just for clarification for, for the audience. So maybe a bit of background and then, um, and then let's talk about what's unfolding. There was some pretty hot news, Camilla, that you broke last night from the city of Santa Cruz. That's right, Terry. Um, for, I mean, for almost a month now, actually, there's been what they call a civic strike. In reality, um, it would be called anywhere else, it would be called a boss's lockout, by which uh, what's called the Civic Committee of Santa Cruz, which is essentially a committee of the largest landowners and the largest sort of businessmen in that city, uh, decided they were going to do a lockout to protest against the government of President Luis Arce, supposedly on the uh, for using the issue of the national census. Now, I think this might appear quite peculiar to people outside the country because I, I've never heard of another country in which there is conflict over a national census or where it's politicised in any way. I think most people will... Uh, if the census is taking place in their country, will know about it for the first time when they get the questionnaire, the survey uh, that they have to fill out. But in Bolivia, it's become entirely politicised. Uh, but I would say it's, that has been a pretext. But for the governor of Santa Cruz, Fernando Camacho, and this civic committee say that because Santa Cruz has grown in the last few years, then they deserve more resources from the central government. And... So they want the census to be held as soon as possible, whereas the government says the census will be held in 2024. And the, their proposal is only has essentially a six month difference. Um, so we can see that this, uh, this issue has been, uh, what is, should be a technical issue, has been politicized in quite a cynical way, because of course, even if a census was to take place tomorrow, the effects on public policy, et cetera, take years and are indirect as well for, for people. So we can see that this is just a pretext used because their real aim is to create an environment of chaos in Bolivia, bring violence uh, that can destabilize the government and, and, and the country as a whole and sabotage as well the economic growth that Bolivia is enjoying because Santa Cruz is a country where it's the, the largest city in Bolivia, it uh, has a lot of industry, it's on the border with Brazil, so it has a lot of international trade. And through this boss's lockout, they've really uh, put a spanner in the works of the strong economic growth that Bolivia was experiencing. So uh, that's been the situation for the past month. What does it look like there on the ground? It looks like, um, you know, while the civic committee itself is uh, a committee of these landowners and businessmen, they have uh, right-wing groups, sort of extremists, fascist groups that took part in the coup in 2019 that are mobilized on the streets, blocking roads, uh, mostly in the sort of the central areas of the city, which are the sort of more middle-class areas of the city. Um, essentially, anyone who tries to get through is trying to get to work or trying to get home. If you're in a car or on a motorbike, they'll, you know, slash your tires, put, most likely assault you. Um, 
There's even people charging. If you want to get through, they will charge you a dollar, two dollars to get through. So we can see there that those people are not necessarily even allied to these right-wing groups. They're just sort of criminal groups that are coming out and they see this as a payday and or themselves being paid to, to be there. So it's, it's an environment of chaos. There's also been the fact that there, there hasn't been a very strong response from the police. Uh, that's what people there in Santa Cruz feel, that these criminal groups have been given kind of uh, a soft touch to just sort of run right around the city. And things really built to a head last week, well, this past weekend, when these right-wing groups burnt down the, the offices of the Federation, the Campesino Federation of Santa Cruz. They vandalised and looted the, the trade the labour union uh, building in Santa Cruz. Uh, they tried. They did the same to a number of public government buildings there, like the statistics office, the tax office, the land registry office, and they tried it with a number of others. But the police were able to intervene. And so, yeah, there's. It, I should need to add though that all of this chaos, all of this conflict, as intense as it is, is restricted to one city of the country. This is, you know, here in La Paz, there has been absolutely none of that. Uh, we haven't seen any of that kind of violence or mobilization here. The same is true for all of the rest of the country, including the rural areas of Santa Cruz, who are allied, who, you know, the vast majority of them elect mayors and local officials for the movement towards socialism, for the ruling party. This is something restricted to the city of uh, Santa Cruz, which means it's basically at this point a regional, uh, regionalist conflict. Well, gosh, okay, I have tons of things I've <laughs> written here. But, so there's a couple things with this region, specifically the city of Santa Cruz being the economic engine of the country, is that's significant that these uh, protests or this strike or by the right wing is happening there. And um, I have to say, as you describe what those protests look like on the ground, and especially since it's been organized by the far right, it really looks, and Camilla, you have a lot of personal experience in this. It sounds to me so similar to the Guarimbas in Venezuela, February, 2017 specifically, and the Tronques in, in Nicaragua during the coup attempt in April of 2018. Same demographic of people organizing it and the same tactics. Exactly, and they're also being paid, or as Ali said, that their opportunists, their criminal elements were going out to the street in order to extract money, tolls, um, you know, just as gangs do all across Latin America for people just trying to go to work or trying to fulfill their day-to-day -day duties, picking up their children, dropping them off, and things like that. And so what we saw overnight was, of course, an uptick in confrontations and a siege on this neighborhood known as, or called Plan Miel in Santa Cruz, where the central spot close to one of the large markets and where there's a lot of commerce and a lot of business um, early in the morning and all day, uh, people are literally being penalized or being punished for refusing to take part in the lockout, for refusing to abide by this elite imposed lockout. They want to open their businesses every day. They want to sell their meat, 
their produce or whatever it is in the markets. They just open a stand in the market. These aren't people who own large stores. They don't own any type of grocery stores or, you know, it's not like a Costco or anything. It's literally people who either have a stand, a slot within the market or people who have a little kiosk in the perimeter of the market or lots of times women and men who push around a cart on wheels. And that's how they make their money day to day. They need the economy to remain open in order to make money every day. And they're making small amounts of money. So, you know, these are people who sell things like empanadas or cents. You know, they're not even making a dollar off of an empanada that they're selling. And so it's very important that they be able to carry out their work day to day. This exists through all of the city of Santa Cruz and of course all of Bolivia, but specifically in this area of Plantas Mil is where we've been showing the images of the confrontations that have been taking place. These uh, parastate groups, the uh, Santa Cruz uh, Youth Union, as well as other uh, armed organizations that are linked to Fernando Camacho, the governor, and linked to the Santa Cruz Civic Committee have been laying siege on those people who refuse to take part in this destabilization attempt and who want only to be able to make ends meet. We're now headed towards the fourth week of this. It'll be four weeks on uh, Friday at midnight of, of this ongoing uh, economic paralyzation. And so, these people are showing up to these neighborhoods and attacking residents and just working class people using explosives, Molotov cocktails, all sorts of makeshift uh, homemade weapons. Also, obviously, stones, firecrackers and other sorts of explosive devices and hurling at them at the people as the people try to, uh, for example, in the morning at four, five, six in the morning, open up the market, open up their stand for the day. And a lot of people also make money, poor people, poor uh, men on a whole, uh, you'll see as the primary young men, the primary people who are working as moto taxis or who have to transport thing on moto taxis. Those people are being targeted by the bar, by the wire, wire and cables that are being strung up across avenues to try to cause harm to those motorcyclists and cyclists as well. Because when you have these roadblocks across the city, the only real way to get around besides on foot is by motorcycle or by bicycle. Yesterday, we saw an injury to a young baby, a baby of probably less than six months of age. And they have a, a really uh, bad wound here across their neck, but we've also seen one death from the wire. Um, uh, I think in the last two weeks and other severe injuries. Um, no one has yet been decapitated, but that's essentially uh, what their aim is. I mean, it's very difficult to see this very thinly, uh, this very thin wire that's strung across these streets and people can only stay home for so long. They're also blocking access to, uh, to hospitals and in one case to a very important facility that, that, uh, that takes in women who are the victims uh, and survivors of rape and other uh, sexual and gender-based violence. And so this is something, um, you know, we've seen all sorts of videos, all of it is documented of these armed gangs going up to businesses, going up to uh, older women, uh, merchants, vendors, and threatening them simply for wanting to open their business, threatening bar owners, 
Um, and essentially, like I said, closing off access to emergency services, making it difficult or impossible for ambulances to circulate, for uh, people to be able to do their jobs that are absolutely necessary in the city of Santa Cruz. And there have been countless injuries in addition to four deaths at this point. And as, as we've said, we've seen uh, you know, very limited response from the security forces to intervene and lock up those people and the people who were locked up for the crimes that were committed on Friday that Ali mentioned, uh, the arson and the vandalization, they have all been let out on bail at this point. So let me, let me ask you one, Governor Camacho, he is the only governor in the, in the nation of Bolivia that is pushing to change the census date or is dissatisfied with the census date because the, the president has announced it for 2024, correct? Yeah, he's, he's the uh, only government only, governor protesting it. Yeah, in Bolivia, there are nine governors uh, from nine departments. And there was, a, there was a meeting like a few months ago with the government and these nine uh, nine governors were invited, eight turned up, Fernando Camacho didn't turn up. And by consensus, it was decided that the census will be in 2024. And six of the nine governors are from the opposition. Um, so including, you know, it's the opposition as well. Uh, Santa Cruz, uh, the leadership of Camacho is the only one that is rejecting this. And that's why I said that this has become a regionalist uh, problem. And this is not a national conflict. This is not uh, like in 2019, where the opposition in the whole country, well, in all the cities of the country were uh, leading violent protests. To, that led to the coup in 2019. This is not what's happening now. This is in one city. And the right is very divided over this because uh, what, when you have this kind of regionalist conflict, there in Santa Cruz, there has been a stoking of, sort of racist sentiment against people from the Andean parts of Bolivia because Santa Cruz is sort of a lowland, more green area of the country near Brazil. Um, and then, you know, uh, we get this discourse, oh, the Koyas, the Indios, you know, the Indians, they, they're, they're coming here. Blah, blah. When you say that, you're insulting everyone from the Indian part of, of Bolivia, including the opposition, including people who would support their cause, uh, people on the right. And so there, there becomes a division among the right. And I think going in, you know, uh, whenever the next elections are, what we're going to see is this regional split among the opposition. You're not gonna have a united candidate just like there wasn't one in 2019. You have this regionalist based uh, politics among the Bolivian right and they can't unite because of this sort of separatist racist sentiment um, that you see. And now you get some people including Camacho himself, you know, flirting with hinting at the possibility of raising the flag of separatism. Um, of you know Santa Cruz independence, and this sort of, this is something that's absolute no go for the rest of the Bolivian right because it means breaking up the country. They absolutely oppose that. So um, while we see an empowered Fernando Camacho in his base of Santa Cruz, the rest of the Bolivian right is uh, facing big divisions over this. So what is what is he hoping to achieve, or him and his base in Santa Cruz? What are they hoping to achieve? They are uh, forcing a lot of suffering 
on working people, we're, I, you know, working people, low, you know, working poor and working people, not. And he's also with these, well, what we would call Guarimbas Trancas in other countries. That's also a huge impediment and scary thing, for lack of a better term, to everybody in the city. So what is the, I mean, he's, if you're, he seems he's alienating the specific demo working people. He's harming his own base, or at least the potential to violently harm his own base. What's the, what's the objective? No, I don't think it is harming his own base because the more he riles them up, the more he sort of uh, whips them up into a frenzy, the more solid they are as a political bloc in Santa Cruz. This goes back to what I said, that he, he is trying to build a region in this project. He's not trying to build a national. He tried in 2019, yeah. that failed, that now he's trying to form a bloc in uh, what, you know, a solid un political unit in Santa Cruz. And it favors him having this sort of constant level of conflict, him being the leader, him being the hero for their side, that favors him. I think if, if you know, if life goes on as normal, people aren't pushed to that extreme. But when there's a constant conflict, people do go to the, the extreme that he, uh, the extremist point of view that he represents. So he, he needs this uh, level of constant conflict um, to, you know, to, to remain politically relevant. I think if everything was calm and people were calm, then his, you know, extremist message would be less appealing. So it definitely benefits him to have this uh, permanent level of conflict. They're also sowing discontent throughout the entire country, starting within Santa Cruz, but they are very effectively uh, causing damage to the economy in Santa Cruz, but that causes damage to the national economy. And Santa Cruz is uh, connected by a very important highway to the city of Cochabamba, another major city. This does affect uh, the economy on a whole. It's also the way we get to Brazil. And so, you know, this is a very coordinated effort that has an effect on one city, which is the largest and most important city in that department, but a very important department. And, you know, the national government is really relying on this constant campaign they have of showing these amazing numbers of economic recovery, of economic growth, of the way in which uh, Bolivia can take its own path uh, its own socialist path to growing an economy, to being independent, to being sovereign, to producing its own food, producing everything it needs, and also trading amicably with all of its uh, neighboring uh, friendly countries. And, you know, this model is what is under siege right now. This is not a country that has been victim to the unilateral course of measures, the sanctions that we've seen against Venezuela, Nicaragua, Cuba, Zimbabwe, Syria, and many other countries. And so, you know, the enemies of Bolivia and of Bolivian socialism and of the integrationist project of Latin America, they're betting on the internal enemies in Bolivia. They're betting on this far right and the right wing opposition sectors to from within the country, attack the country, attack, uh, you know, the 
the, uh, the, the people's will to continue to, to support their government, which they elected just two years ago. And what they're doing, what Fernando Camacho and the Civic Committee is doing, is they're betting on the role of the media because in large part, the right-wing media here is a private media, which is in support of those pro-coup sectors. And what they're able to accomplish as they were able to accomplish in 2019 and at other moments is that we're talking about an opposition in this country that represents the minority of the population, but because they have so much control over the narrative because of their use of and manipulation of the narrative through, through these media outlets that have such a large reach, not only in Bolivia, but internationally, they're able to make it seem as if, you know, that, that there's a whole crisis going on in the country, that people are angry, that people are demanding a census, when really the people who are demanding the census in 2023 belong to a very specific part of the country and a very specific uh, right-wing movement as well, but they're able to make it seem as if this is an undemocratic government in La Paz that is only uh, ruling on behalf of a certain particular uh, group within the country, when really the La Paz government here, the movement towards socialism led by Evo Morales and with the president in power, Luis Arce right now, represents the majority. But we're going to begin seeing, you know, the everything that's going on here taken out of context, thanks to the ground actors here, that you know, are those major newspapers and right-wing media, and they pass that information on or it gets taken in the international media and make it seem, they can make it seem even as if there's some sort of, uh, you know, th that democracy is in question, that people are being repressed or anything like that. And that's really their intention to destabilize, not only by actually, uh, you know, imposing those roadblocks and this lockout, and not allowing people to work and harming the economy, but also by manipulating the narrative as time goes on and as they continue to uh, go uh, in search of, of news there. On the very first week of this lockout, we saw the leader of the Santa Cruz Civic Committee on CNN with Fernando Del Rincon, who is a fascist TV presenter. I mean, this is the kind of press that they're looking for, and this is the attention they're ultimately going to get as long as they keep this up, unfortunately. So with the consent with the consensus, and I know, you know, in the states, when those are taken, you know, they're reflective of of population growth and demographic shift. So what is happening in the city of Santa Cruz, or perhaps even the entire department? of Santa Cruz that Camacho is pushing for this now? Or is it simply a political tool? Yeah, it, it is a political, it is an excuse, a pretext. Um, and also it's worth mentioning Santa Cruz is not the only area of Bolivia that has grown. That is a discourse that's used by Camacho that you know the whole of Bolivia is moving to Santa Cruz because uh, things are so great there. That's not true. One of the cities growing at a quicker pace in since the last census is the city of El Alto here in La Paz, uh, next door to us, uh, which is a majority indigenous city. And that's seen a huge economic boom uh, in the last 10 years, and huge migration from the countryside to uh, the city of El Alto as a very dynamic economy based on international trade uh, with Peru and Chile, uh, based on construction, based on all these sorts of things. And it, they're not 
part of these mobilizations. They're not holding protests. They're not, uh, you know, creating chaos in the country. They're in agreement with uh, the census. In fact, their mayor is part of the opposition um, for, for a number of different sort of local reasons. They, they're as well in agreement with the government about the date of the census. And, you know, like I said, if the census takes place six months before or six months after, that doesn't affect the common person. That doesn't put money in the pocket of the common person. It, you know, it affects public policies in an indirect way. But you know, the, the fact that people are standing out uh, in the sun, blocking roads, assaulting people, do you think is taking place over sense over this issue of the census, uh, over things the cartographic map? People don't even know what these words mean, but it's being used as a pretext to bring violence, uh, a wider level of violence to the country from these groups and for Camacho himself to shore up his, to build and shore up his political capital and solidify his party ahead of uh, the next election. So I think they, that is the context in which this has taken place. Yes, Santa Cruz has grown a lot um, in uh, over the past few years and those, and the people who, constitute that growth are mostly people from Andean areas and who uh, many of them vote for the movement towards socialism. So this idea that the population growth is something that benefits the right in Santa Cruz is also a myth. Um, uh, you know, even that the last elections, last local elections, the movement towards socialism got about 30% of the vote against Fernando Camacho. That's, you know, they didn't win that election, obviously, but that shows that not all of Santa Cruz is in agreement with this. And we saw huge rallies in the city of Santa Cruz and Camilla went there um, in, you know, against Fernando Camacho in favor of the government on this issue. So the, the more Camacho pushes this, the more violence he's gonna to bring to Santa Cruz because that city is not a 100%, it's not a, a white city, it's not a, an entirely right wing or pro coup pro-fascist city is absolutely not the case at all it's a very diverse um very you know ethnically culturally diverse city and politically diverse as well yeah and it's I also international <laughs> i also want to say like there, there's an there's a whole list of issues uh that they have pursued and ollie's probably a better has a better you know record of this in his memory because he's been watching things you know as a Bolivian for a longer amount of time, but not only now it's the census. Before it was, uh, you know, during COVID, but after Luis Arce and the mass returned to power, they said it was the doctors going on strike, that the medical college was, was saying that they don't have sufficient, uh, they don't have, you know, everything they need to be able to do their job. Um, these are obviously right wing doctors. We know this because they tried to destabilize the country using that in 2019. That was a pretext as well to the coup. We have the environmental issue in the burning of the Chiquitania. In this case, it could be another environmental issue. It could be um, earlier this year and last year, they tried the right wing and specifically the Santa Cruz elite have tried to use the issue of development projects and infrastructure in Beni and other departments of the country and the effect that has on the indigenous populations there to try to destabilize the country and to try to tell people on the exterior that this indigenous government is anti-indigenous. Mm -hmm. they've, they've, they've actually uh, this year, uh, and you know, Carlos Mesa has tried to wage um, another issue where he said that 
he had an issue with the him and his party uh, didn't like the type of symbols that the government were using on the government letterhead. These sorts of things is very absurd, but we've seen every single uh, different thing you can possibly think of sometimes on a biweekly basis to try to, to, to use these issues to destabilize the country, to get people angry. And none of them have worked. They've all fallen flat. This is the only one that has taken off. But it's very clear that it's politically motivated, specifically because they put so much money into these campaigns and the right-wing media allied with these right-wing coup leaders uh, will we'll harp on these issues every single day, putting tons of just wall-to-wall -wall coverage about whatever it is that Carlos Mesa or uh, Fernando Camacho or whoever says is the issue of that day. And then literally in two weeks, the issue disappears out of the headlines and from the media because it, it fell flat and nobody cared about it. Now the census is the thing they're sticking with because it's the only thing that they've been able to get off the ground. You know, it's interesting that the, to me on the outside about the consensus, there's two big things that have happened in Bolivia that would that have infringed on many government projects, the coup in 2019 and the pandemic. And so it seems most people would be very rational and say, well, OK, you know, the consensus is only really being delayed by six months, given everything that we've lived through in the past three years. That seemed very reasonable, at least for me on the outside. And so to be making it this really violent uh, political campaign is, I mean, it's almost seemed, I mean, it's, it's extraordinarily harmful physically to people and economically to people, but almost not very smart. <laughs> it's also part of a, it is also part of their multi-pronged campaign. You have to remember, and you would know about this, Terry, but beginning today and tomorrow in Mexico, the far right of the continent is meeting there, yeah. including people from Santa Cruz. This is yeah. part of a coordinated action. At the same time, during the campaign in Brazil, the presidential campaign, the daughter of ex-dictator Janine Añez, Carolina Añez, was flown on this trip, funded by whatever money. We don't know where she got the money to do an entire Brazil tour, but she went and saw Michelle Bolsonaro. She went and saw and met with Jair Bolsonaro and Eduardo Bolsonaro, among many other figures of the Brazilian far right. She's a regular, uh, she's a regular guest, like I've said before, on CNN and other such programs. She's very in very close contact and coordination with the Venezuelan far right, those actors who plan and have carried out many destabilization plots against the Venezuelan people and state um, over the last 20 years, really, and the people who continue to be obviously aligned with this figure, Juan Guaido, that is continues to be backed by the State Department. And so, you know, she's campaigning and doing very public events, Carolina Añez, in Brazil at the time of this massive presidential election, getting tons of airtime and photo ops, delivering statements, meeting with Luis Almagro in Washington, meeting with these fake human rights international organizations at, at the same time as these Santa Cruz figures are doing the same. So it's all a coordinated action to try to bring attention to Bolivia under this completely manufactured issue um, which, you know, is obviously on the one hand, you know, Fernando Camacho and the Santa Cruz Civic Committee says it's about 
the census. But if you see what Carolina Añez, who supports this like census lockout thing, you know, if you see what these other actors are saying abroad, they're not even talking about the census. They're saying that they're being suppressed, that there's no freedom of the press, that opposition doesn't have a voice in this country, that there's political persecution of the opposition to the government, that her mother's obviously a political prisoner, um, and that people aren't able to speak out against the Luis Arce government. They're inserting all sorts of issues. So it's very clear when you look at it, when you take a step back and look at everything that's taking place, it is not about the census. It's truly about attacking the government and the democratically elected government and project that was that was chosen by the Bolivian people just two years ago. So, you know, it's fascinating that these people can be, to me, it, that they're protesting their civil rights, their human rights against the, the current government. When in fact, a lot of people would say Camacho should have been prosecuted and he should be sitting in jail when he is an elected governor of the Department of Santa Cruz. How can that be a violation of his human rights or his, his civil freedoms when he's such a significant leader of the right and he's in, in elected office, governor of a state? It just, I mean, it, you know, it doesn't make sense. It's, the rhetoric doesn't make sense, although it's very scary. And and you mentioned Mexico. Yes, I should just tell the audience we have a huge rally, anti-fascist rally here in Mexico City tomorrow morning, uh, 9 a.m. I think it's at the Westin Santa Fe uh, at 9 a.m. And yes, I will be there. <laughs> so, so can we talk about one thing more before I let both of you go? Um, Camilla, you have been to Santa Cruz. You have seen how uh, the communities are organizing the pro-government, anti-Camacho people, well, not necessarily anti the pro-MAS, the pro-Arce people, have organized at a community level. This is a theme that continually comes up in our episodes for the audience, social movements, labor movements, and how crucial they are to help develop policy throughout the country, develop uh, candidates, help candidates get elected, and then once uh, in office, help uh, help maintain the power of the office. I mean, it's like we continually say on this program, just because you hold power doesn't mean you have power. And so how important are the social movements and labor movements in Santa Cruz right now? Well, they're very important, but I think, you know, one of the things, one of the reasons why these social movements and unions and indigenous organizations have been so successful in Bolivia um, in fighting against uh, U.S.-backed dictatorships and repression for the last decades, even before the movement towards socialism uh, was able to take power at the executive level, is this constant, you know, uh, class analysis. They really see themselves as being part of the same um, you know, the same class doing the same jobs. They have this understanding, thanks to, uh, you know, various leaders in this tradition in the country, of understanding that they are the indigenous native original people who have had to fight against the colonizers from the very beginning, who had these people just arrive from Europe um, in different uh, times throughout their history and have literally just taken control of land uh, you know, just unilaterally 
um, while other people have been displaced, uh, impoverished, and have had to live through very difficult circumstances and you know, really wide inequality. And this is a country with really you know, severe problems in terms of development. And so this is so these people throughout Santa Cruz, I think, continue to understand that you know it's it's just based out of purely basic necessity. They know that if they can't work for a few days, that everyone in their household is going to go hungry, or that if they can find a way to work, that they need childcare and their children will need to be in school. How are they going to be able to go to school when the whole city is locked down? So, you know, they are organizing on that basis. Not all of the sectors who are opposing this lockout in Santa Cruz are, are members of, or militants of some sort of organization, not necessarily members of the movement towards socialism, but they have seen the ways in which concretely their, uh, their living standards improved both you know, for them specifically, but also throughout the country since the first mandate of Evo Morales. And this is what they fought for in 2019. A lot of times we talk about you know, all of the different repression and of course the massacres that took place in 2019, but different points of the department of Santa Cruz, not only this uh, neighborhood of Blancas Neal, but other uh, areas of the department were on the very forefront of the fight for democracy and against the coup dictatorship, not only in those weeks after the, the vote where Evo won his fourth term, but also in the 12 months after that, during the entire coup year, they resisted, uh, they resisted all of the tyrannical uh, policies of, of the coup government. So, um, you know, I think people, people remember the good times under Evo Morales. They want to see, um, you know, the economy uh, improve, and it's important to say that even though this is the this is known as the department that's controlled and the city is the, controlled by fascists, that a large part of the population continues to support Luis Arce and the movement towards socialism, um, even outside of the membership of those uh, you know main unions and indigenous organizations. So, what can um, in our last few minutes? What can those of us outside of Bolivia do? I know we have to watch Casa Trim News. <laughs> your website and your Twitter feed is fantastic. Your, you know, your up-to-the-date postings are really, really informative and super important. And I will post both for the audience. I'll post both in the program description so that you can easily uh, follow the website, the Twitter feed, and and Ollie and Camilla individually as well. They both have great uh, Twitter feeds also. But what can we what what can we as U.S. citizens and as Latin American activists in general do right now? I think the most important is to to raise awareness, is to you know to do what you're doing now, Terry, because I think is uh, is something that the mainstream media is obviously not going to report on, and if they do, it'll be to say. Um, oh, the, the authoritarian Bolivian government has arrested someone for burning down a, 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 a public building. Isn't that terrible? So I think the most important is to get the information across and for it to be clear that there are people who, who care about this issue and who will raise their voice about this issue. Because I think if, if the media, if the government, if the US government can see that, then 
you know, they, they know that they're up against something, uh, a, re a real movement, both within Bolivia and outside Bolivia as well. And I think that's, that's the main thing uh, the Bolivian people want. Yeah, no sort of real intervention or coup can take place when everyone's eyes are on a situation. Yeah. We've seen this time and time again, a good example being the election of Gustavo Petro. It would have been very difficult for something to happen there because there was so much international media attention, but a lot of um, electoral observer missions, foreigners there as well. A lot of people, you know, guarding that situation. Uh, and so it would have been very difficult for anything fishy to happen as in the situation with the election of Xiomara in Honduras. Western audiences have to be very, uh, very keen and very uh, uh, observant when they're, when they're looking at the media. Unfortunately, uh, you know, this disinformation is not going to be disseminated you know, strictly through the New York Times, Washington Post, The Guardian, and the BBC anymore, because the White House and the State Department and all of the agencies of the U.S. state have learned that young people and people on a whole do not get their information from the major traditional legacy outlets. They get their information from alternative outlets, and it is alternative outlets and smaller or medium-sized outlets with medium-sized or smaller budgets that are being funneled money as they were in 2019, and these fake nonprofits or NGOs to try to, you know, uh, tell a certain narrative about what's going on in countries like Bolivia. And it's those very outlets who pose as leftist outlets or alternative outlets or independent that have, you know, have been at the forefront of trying to make it seem as if this is an undemocratic government. And they would have you think as well that across the country, people are clamoring for a 2023 census, when in fact, the truth is it's a very small portion of the right wing or the opposition or geographically in this country that is making those demands. And it's a very small portion of the country that is affected right now uh, directly by this lockout, just as it is a small minority that voted for Luis Fernando Camacho in 2020, and that overall less than 45% of the population in the recent 2020 presidential elections voted for the combined total of all of the opposition candidates against a party that won a strong mandate of 55.1% in the first round won the presidency outright. And this is, you know, amid repression, following really massive all America. of the main leaders of the, of the movement towards socialism holed up in the Mexican embassy in Mexico, in Buenos Aires, scattered outside of the country and people living in fear, journalists living in fear. So this is the situation we're dealing with. People need to approach the media with skepticism as with all of the media that reports on Latin America from the exterior. Well, we'll have to have you come back and keep us keep us apprised as to as to what's going on because it really is uh, it, it's an important story and we aren't talking enough about it, particularly in the global north. And you know, the more I listen to both of you, the the similarities between the demographic of people that are leading this this strike and their tactics are exactly what we have seen in Venezuela and what we have seen in Nicaragua, specifically in my personal experience, those two countries, but elsewhere as well. So it's really, um, <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's, it's just amazing to, uh, to, and scary, you know, to-, to But it's watch. also the same 
if they're trying to use in Mexico without Mexico yes. being a revolutionary government. Yes. I mean, yes. this is this is precisely the reason why they're all coming together, even yes. with uh, these figures from the United States and meeting there. Yeah, yeah. No, that's going to be an important rally tomorrow. We'll probably have to talk about that too. I should have the team. You come back and we can talk about the similarities between all of these events. So. Okay, you guys, what I am so happy you had time today. I know you both are so busy with all your activism and your reporting and, and all the work that you do in Bolivia specifically, but throughout the Americas as well. So I'm really so thankful for your time. And I wanna remind uh, the audience that you've been uh, watching What the F is going on in Latin America and the Caribbean. We are a popular resistance broadcast in partnership with seven other organizations. You can catch us um, every Thursday evening, 7.30 p.m. Eastern on YouTube Live, including the YouTube channels of The Convo Couch, Popular Resistance, and Code Pink. And so thanks again, everyone, and we will uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks, Terry. Thanks for having us. Thank you.